Welcome to the Cross-Border Interview Podcast featuring Derek Fox. Welcome back to the Cross-Border Interview Podcast. Today's guest is the former MLA for Vegreville, Derek Fox. Derek, thank you so much for doing this and sitting down on the Saturday afternoon and chatting about your time in politics, but also your life. Well, it's my pleasure, Chris. Thank you for asking me to participate. Um, Derek, my first question to any politician, former or current, is where did your sense of duty come from? Well, that's an interesting question. My my time in the NDP was preceded by uh, involvement here with the National Farmers Union and the idea that that you would get involved and work together to try and come up with with ideas and, and programs that would make it better for, for farmers and for people living in rural areas was, uh, you know, was, was, was pretty attractive to me. And I got involved and there were a number of people that were really, uh, uh, really a, a strong influence on me in terms of their understanding of issues and commitment to their community. So I guess that, uh, you know, when you realize that in order to, to affect real change, you need to get involved politically. And I'd been involved with the NDP here locally for several years, and eventually it kind of became my turn to run. So, so I did. <laughs> were your were your parents political, or, or were you the black sheep of the family and sort of got the political bug yourself? Yeah, no, there was no no evidence of uh, political involvement that I'm aware of in my my parents' lives. Uh, my father was, uh, you know, would have been fairly staunch social credit conservative banker from Calgary. And I'm sure my mom would have voted with whatever uh, he was doing at the time, but uh, she certainly became a, an ardent new Democrat uh, later in her years when she was living in, in uh, British Columbia. That's it's interesting that you said your father was a social credit and then you became sort of the NDP. How did that come about? And uh, uh, I'm assuming uh, you're, you and your father had a conversation that you might have been running or had that happened at the time? Well, no, he was he was gone by then. So oh, okay. uh, sorry about that. That's that's OK. He was uh, I was I think he was 40, 42 when I was born. So uh uh, yeah, so we didn't we didn't get a chance to talk politics. <laughs> but did you talk politics as a kid, though? Because uh, in my family, I was a very much I was a politically active and I I uh, talked politics all the time with my father because we came from a political uh, family. Uh, if no. he was uh, involved with the social credit in Calgary, did you guys talk about politics or was that something not brought up at the dinner table? No, it didn't. It didn't come up. But uh, thinking back as well, I, I spent several summers as a, as a teenager, both uh, attending and then working at uh, a YMCA boys camp, uh, Camp Chief Hector, Calgary. And that really helped develop a strong sense of, uh, of a, a need to help others, you know, to get involved and, and try and, uh, you know, help people's development. So that, that was kind of a political thing, I guess. But uh, if I was to trace it, it was, it was my grade 12 social studies course or a class, they had a, a new curriculum introduced that focused on political systems and uh, economics and, and some history. And it just, it just really took hold of me. I took a strong interest in it. And even though I don't think my, my teacher, Mr. Cochelle, agreed with my point of view, he was great in that he encouraged me to, uh, 
to explore. So yeah, so I guess in grade 12, I remember taking an interest in, in uh, progressive politics. And from your time in Calgary to Vegreville, how was that transition? What was the transition from you moving from the metropolis that was Calgary at the time, I'm assuming, compared to Vegreville to Vegreville? What was the process like? Well, it was a, that was a long time ago and kind of a different era, Chris, too, because when I finished grade 12 in, in uh, 1968, uh, I, could, I could do virtually anything. There were so many opportunities available. You know, a person could go to university, you could uh, travel the world, you could get a job just about anywhere. There were, you know, opportunities abounded. And I decided that I would, I would work for a year before I'd go to university. And uh, I got a job working at the, uh, the mental institution in Pinoca oh, wow. for a year. So I worked there for a year and then decided to go to university in Edmonton the next year where I took political science. And uh, <laughs> I guess um, met my wife to be there, Viola. We met at university and, and decided that we both had a strong interest in living in, in rural Alberta and kind of, uh, I guess, a uh, I guess a bit of a back to the land uh, sentiment among both of us. So we, we took it seriously, wanted to, to move out to rural Alberta. And, and I decided that it was more than just, just a place to live for me. I wanted to be a farmer, even though I'd grown up in, in, uh, in Calgary, you know, son of a banker. I, I felt that I was born to be a farmer. So we, we moved out here in 1973 and, uh, and got involved. So that's, that's. So in 73, you made, you, you put down roots in uh, Beggarville, I'm assuming, or was yeah, it outside Northeast of Beggarville? Beggarville? We bought a lovely little uh, piece of land here and uh, uh, you've, you've had interviews before with our daughter, Tanine. She was, uh, she was uh, a bun in the oven, if you will, at the time and was born in October of 1973 after we moved here. So, uh, you know, they had the, the benefit of growing up in rural Alberta as well. And the idea of becoming a farmer in Vegreville, I'm assuming, hit the ground running, I'm assuming. Uh, did did you look for a farm when you decided to move northeast of Vegreville, or was it sort of a uh, small house and then started farming outside of that? Yeah, no, it needed to be, it needed to be uh, arable, productive land. We wanted to farm. We had, we had great dreams, you know, with... Uh, uh, livestock and and honeybees and crops and going to try and do a little bit of everything. I, I I tried to hit the ground running. I wouldn't say that I was a, a screaming success because I didn't know anything about any of it, <laughs> but uh, somehow managed and with with a lot of advice and encouragement from from all the great neighbors we have out here. I I ended up uh, managing to make a living out of it. And getting involved with the National Farmers Union, that probably was one of the first steps, or did that come a little bit after you set, made roots in uh, Vegreville? Well, yeah, we area. had to get to know people and, you know, understand what what issues farmers were coping with. And, and uh, so, no, I didn't have a sense of that when we moved here. But uh, again, there were, there were other people that were very involved who were a uh, uh, strong influence on us in terms of our understanding of issues and desire to get involved. 
where your story picks up when it comes to elected politics uh, is in 1986. I'm assuming prior to 1986, you made the decision to run for the uh, NDP under then uh, Ray Martin. Talk, take me through that decision-making process, because at that time, Peter Lougheed was premier. Uh, he had just stepped down. Don Getty had become, pre, uh, if I'm not mistaken, had just become premier in 85. Uh, what was your decision-making behind getting involved with the NDP, particularly at the provincial level in 1985-86? Well, it, it, it goes back much further than that. We uh, And there's there's history in the area, so... Um, back in, in the early part of 1950, there were a couple of, of CCF MLAs elected in rural Alberta. Uh, and both of them were, were close to here, uh, Mundare, Vegreville and Willingdon areas. Yeah. So there was a little bit of, of history, political history here. And then, uh, we got involved in, in local campaigns in 1974, federally 75, Provincially, we had a great candidate here, Barney Welsh, who, uh, who I think in in 1975 may have may have even been the the next closest to Grant Notley to actually winning a seat. So there were, you know, there was some uh, uh, some energy here. And then in '79, I was the uh, uh, finance officer for the candidate who ran. And then in 82, I was the campaign manager for the candidate who ran. And, and they were all good campaigns and we fell short, but, but uh, you know, kept expanding our, our contact with the community and the number of people that were involved. So, and I was the, the president of the local constituency association as well at that time. So by the time it came uh, 1985 to get nominated to run, we had a, a pretty extensive organization and a, you know, a uh, fairly significant footprint, if you will, in the community. And uh, so I was nominated at least a year, I think, before the election was called. That was May 8th, 86. So just past 35 years ago, that, that election, wow. half my lifetime ago. <laughs> uh, was it was it a contested nomination? <laughs> no. no. So you were the only one that had put their name forward. Had you spoken to Mr. Martin at the time, the leader of the Alberta NDP at the time, or even Grant Notley, because you were active in the party. You were the campaign manager in the prior election, the treasurer in the prior, in a prior election to that as well. So had you talked to a potential leader to say, I'm thinking about running, or was it more of a, we need someone, you're the president of, you were the campaign manager, we think you'd be a good candidate. How did that yeah, decision no, it, come it was about? A lot more, a lot more organized than that. I mean, Grant was, uh, Viola and I were very uh, close to Grant Notley being involved in the party and uh, we'd, we'd hosted provincial events out here with, with, uh, with Grant. He'd come out and, and uh, participated in local parades here and stuff. So we'd had lots of contact with him and he had encouraged me to run earlier, but then, uh, you know, the situation wasn't right for us with our family, kids being young. And so just kind of bided my time and did what I could to help others in their campaigns. And then, uh, you know, Grant died tragically in a, in a plane crash in October of, of 1984. And that's when, when Ray became leader, stepped up and, and led the party. And, and Ray was a friend I, you know, we knew him before as well. So I think he may have even spoken at the, uh, annual meeting here in Vegreville when, when I decided to let my name stand as president of the constituency association. Um, um, yeah, so most, it, you know, it was all connected and 
most people my age and I'm roughly about 30, I'm in my mid thirties. Um, mm-hmm. know Rachel Notley, you had the mm-hmm. pleasure of knowing her father, Grant yeah. Notley. Um, talk me through who was Grant Notley to this province, because you can read books, you can try to get as much knowledge through interviews, through video recordings of him, but you were there, you, you met the man, the man who, uh, would, was one of the most effective leaders of the oppositions, even though he was a party of one and party of two at one time. Who who was Grant Notley to you? Well, he was he was an inspiration um, for many reasons. He had he had so many uh, great ideas. He was he was articulate uh, and passionate, and uh, and and just he, he would never give up, no matter what the odds were. He. He had a mission, and his mission was to try and convince Alberta that there were there were there was a better way, and against great odds. I mean, when I hear the stories that that he told and that he and Ray told about their time in the legislature when they were one or two members outnumbered by uh, you know seventy five to two with the, with the conservative members there, how they were uh, uh, marginalized and and uh, picked on almost. <laughs> You know, as if they were they they were some big threat to the conservative machine. Um, but he just stood in his place time and time again, traveled the province. Uh, you know, I still run into people who remember Grant coming to their living room, who uh, who were you know always just so uh, fond of him. You know, do you so see? So he was uh, an inspiration, and and it was it was quite a quite a thing when when he when he was killed, Chris. Uh, you know, I feel like I lost weight uh, crying over that tragedy, but I would have people come up to me in the street in Beggarville who, who I didn't really know, but they identified me with, with, with the party and with Grant and they'd be expressing their sadness and their grief at, at his loss, you know, and that, that, that said, uh, you know, it wasn't until, until Ray took over as leader in 1986 that we actually had some some measurable electoral success beyond a couple of seats. So, so, you know, I give, I give Ray a lot of credit to helping organize the party in a way that, that, uh, you know, we could build on what Grant had left us, his legacy. Uh, I'm assuming you've met his, uh, his daughter, Rachel, the former premier, the current leader of the opposition. Do you see a lot of him in her, in her, her leadership style, in her speaking when you potentially watch the legislature or is she or her own woman? Well, I, I, I know Rachel very well. Of course, I've known her for, uh, since she was, uh, much younger <laughs> before she was involved <laughs> in politics and, have been a, uh, an enthusiastic supporter of hers since since the moment she decided to get get into provincial politics. Um, she sure, certainly shares her dad's commitment and and uh, political courage. You know, standing up to uh, whatever odds she's facing to try and get her her ideas through. Um, but you know, she's certainly her own person too. She's. Uh, very determined. She uh, presents so well when she's when she's uh, on television or on the radio, trying to explain an idea or defend a position. And uh, I mean, she led the party to uh, to just an incredible victory in in 2015, and I predict we'll do it again in a couple of years. 
1986, we'll go back to you now. Uh, in 1986, uh, the then uh, MLA for Zegerville had announced that he was stepping down. He was retiring. You were a open uh, sort of race because the uh, progressive conservatives didn't have a uh, incumbent. And then there was you. That election do you remember it? Do you remember like it was yesterday? Take me through that election campaign on the ground. Was it what you expected or was it a little bit more surreal? Because as a campaign manager, you're at in the campaign office most of the time, you're running the campaign, but as the candidate, you're out there door knocking. Take me through that process of actually getting out on the doorsteps and knocking on all the doors and trying to convince people to vote for you. Well, there's, you know, there's a process there and it's interesting to me now because when elections are called, people say, okay, well, I'll get nominated, I'll run, Uh, you know, hopefully people will vote for me and and the elections over in four weeks. Uh, uh, Our strategy back in in 85 was to, to build heading into the election. So being nominated in 1985, it gave me a lot of time to to uh, campaign, get to uh, get my message out to the community. We had canvassers out there distributing leaflets. Um, I was writing articles for the local papers, commenting on issues. So there was a, a momentum building towards the election. But but politics is largely uh, a matter of uh, of you know what's going on at the moment in some ways, and certainly the incumbent MLA. Uh, John Batuk was his name. He'd won four elections prior to that. Uh, him resigning, uh, you know, deciding not to run again was certainly a, a help. Uh, Peter Lougheed deciding not to run again, that that was a help. Um, Don Getty becoming leader, that was something we kind of celebrated out here. Um, not because of Mr. Getty himself, who was who someone I liked, uh, I liked very much, but one of his opponents, Julian Koziak, uh, you know, had great... Uh, uh, a great connection with the Ukrainian community out here. And he would have been uh, a more formidable leader in terms of our campaign here in, in Beggarville. So in fairness, the, the stars did have to align uh, a little bit in order for our, uh, I think, quite substantial organization to, to have an impact in the campaign. Um, but you know, in, terms of the campaign, in terms of the campaign itself, I could tell that the party was doing well uh, there were favorable polling numbers coming out prior to the campaign, and we had some great candidates nominated. And the party, uh, at the time, always had very limited resources, and they had decided that they would target, I think, four or five uh, ridings in Edmonton, and put extra energy into those ridings or constituencies. And I remember talking to Ray and talking to some of the the people at party office that. Uh, that I said, we're going to win here. We've got a great team. Uh, we've got momentum. There's there's uh, people that are paying attention, wanting to get involved. So, you know, it, it, it may seem anomalous to you to put a rural riding on a priority list for for the Alberta NDP, but but you better do it here. Uh, and they did. And we had a we had a robust campaign. The You know, within a day or two of the election being called, we had signs up all over the constituency. We had a um, our, my campaign manager, Julie Welsh, uh, always thinking ahead, uh, booked the, the largest facility in Beggarville the day the election was called for our victory party. Uh, 
Oh, wow. Um, the, the social centre in Vegreville. So when the Conservatives came around to try to, to, to book the social centre, because they thought it was their, you know, their, uh, their right to have that venue for their victory party, they were quite, uh, quite miffed to, to find out that it had already been booked for our party. Thinking um, ahead, and that's a good. Wow, good for her. <laughs> it was a little, little, little cheeky, but uh, you know, it was, it was, uh, it was an open celebration, and we certainly welcomed uh, uh, anybody from the Conservative Party that wanted to come over and and uh, have a drink with us. They were all welcome. Is there a moment in that campaign that you can remember that you thought to yourself, "I'm going to win this," or? Were you fighting until the very last minute till the, till the polls closed? Because uh, I've spoken to many politicians, federally, provincially, municipally, and they can tell the shift in the winds, whether it be 2015 when uh, Rachel Notley and Jim Prentice had that debate and Jim Prentice looked at Rachel Notley and said, math is hard. And you could tell that there was a shift that uh, from the PCs to the NDP. Was there a moment in that campaign when you thought it from a local perspective in Vegreville, the right? you thought, okay, I could actually win this. Well, I, I, I thought we would. I was confident. We had a great, uh, great campaign team, great campaign manager uh, history, um, but there was always that lingering doubt. I'd been involved in campaigns before, and uh, we, had, we had great candidates. We had good campaigns. Our candidate, I thought, uh, in, in every election I'd been involved with really, really fared well in any of the uh, public debates, you know, looked really strong compared to the, uh, uh, the other, the other candidates. But in the end, not, not a lot of that matters. It's what people do on election day. So I'd had very high hopes in elections prior to that only to be, uh, you know, brought down to earth with a, with a deafening thud. And so you're always wondering, okay, well, is this really going to work out? But it, you know, we were we were pretty confident going into uh, you know voting day on on May eighth. That's for sure. And what was the issue that you were running on? Most politicians, most candidates have have a whether it be a local issue, whether it be something that the current government or the opposition government is not doing that they think that they should be doing better. What was the issue for you? What was the issue that you said? You know what? We need to fix this when if we get into uh, uh, the legislature? Well, there were, there were, there were a couple. One of them was, I really felt that the, uh, the rural communities being identified as, as conservative strongholds, uh, had led the conservatives to take, uh, uh rural voters for granted. And we had, uh, you know, access to healthcare, uh, access to education. They were issues as important to rural Albertans as they are to urban Albertans, but we were, uh, you know, they, 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 they just didn't pay attention. But the big thing was, was the, the, the challenge in agriculture at the time. Interest rates were, were uh, out of control and farmers were struggling to, to make ends meet. And so one of the planks of our platform at the time was to uh, encourage the government to implement, implement a fixed rate low interest loan program for farmers to help people, uh, you know, finance their operations at, at predictable and, and in relative terms, low, low interest rates. Um, the other thing that, that was uh, a strong motivator for me and, and people who were around at the time will remember what it was like whenever there was a, uh, a government grant, even if it was a regularly scheduled program where uh, 
in the past, checks would just be mailed out. People, organizations and communities would get the grant, use the money for its stated purpose. Um, the Conservatives made a, a real parade out of presenting checks. There'd be these check presentation things where, where you'd, you know, you'd be encouraged to think that it was a gift from your local MLA or, you know, the, the, the road that they're standing beside wouldn't get built if you didn't have a government MLA. The, the community hall wouldn't, uh, wouldn't have, uh, you know, its share of, of provincial support to, to renovate, that sort of thing. And, and I really felt that, that things were backwards generally in the ridings where the, the conservative MLAs uh, felt that their job was to go into their constituency and tell people what the government was doing. They were there to defend the government and and advertise for the conservative government, and I thought the, the 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 proper role of an MLA was to to listen to the people they represent and then go to Edmonton and, and tell the government what what they need to be doing. You know, you have to represent your community in Edmonton, not uh, well. That that's where the legislature is. Yeah. Um, you know, advocate on behalf of the people you represent, not not be a mouthpiece for the government that that seemed to be ignoring you. Sort of the you should be the voice of your people and not the voice of Edmonton in your riding, because I heard that a lot in 2015 when I was working on the campaign yeah. up in Lesser Slave River, Lesser Slave yeah, River was the sitting MLA would just come up and just spew what they needed to because that's what the line in, in Edmonton was and it wasn't getting the message from the riding wasn't getting back to Edmonton. Yeah, yeah, that's certainly the case. But but I also recognize that it's impossible, and 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 more than a tad pretentious to uh, suggest that you can represent the views of your community because because they're not uh, homogenous. You know, uh, when I got elected, I, I uh, we won the election here, but there were a significant number of people that voted for for a very worthy uh, conservative candidate, and uh, and their their views need to be represented as well. So. So, uh, you know, you, you, you can't pretend as, a, as an MLA or an MP that, that you can represent the views of people on, on each and every issue, um, but you are sent there to represent them. And so, for example, I'd be in the legislature, uh, uh, you know, debating the budget or going through uh, certain bills that the government would propose, and I might be voting on something 10 times throughout the session, throughout the day. And, and there's no way I would know for, for certain that a majority of my constituents would, would care two hoots about what we were talking about, much less have a, a developed opinion on it. But, but the idea of representative democracy is that, uh, you know, you put your name forward, you run, run with a platform and people say, okay, I'm going to, uh, you know, unless you cross me up, I'm going to trust you to represent me there and, and make good decisions on, on our behalf. Um, then on the other hand, there are these very polarizing contentious issues. Um, and, and one at the time that I think about was, was seatbelts. Seatbelt legislation was something uh, Grant Notley had advocated. Our party was in favor of, um, I think most provinces in Canada had seatbelt legislation, but, but not Alberta. And it was a very contentious issue, uh, at the time. I remember the debate there were, when it finally came time to uh, to vote, there were several conservative MLAs that that absented themselves from the legislature so they wouldn't be forced to vote against the the, wow. the bill the government had put forward. You know, 
Um, so representing a rural area, uh, there are a lot of people who didn't see merit in seat belts. And I thought, well, what I should do is is try and uh, conduct a survey. And I had a uh, put some money into a legitimate survey that surveyed the people in the constituency, and and found that a majority of people were in favor of seatbelt legislation. And I thought, well, you know what? I'm a pretty lucky politician in that sense on that issue, because I certainly support seatbelt legislation. The party I I ran for uh, and and am part of support seatbelt legislation, uh, and my constituencies uh, constituents do as well in the majority. So. So that was pretty easy, but if if they, uh, you know, if if 55% of them had been against seatbelts, I would have been in a in a bit of a conundrum there. But but uh, you know, you have to make hard decisions, and I would have supported the legislation because it's it's uh, the right thing to do. I would have had a uh, a job on my hands trying to convince my constituents that it was a good idea. But but Luckily as a true supporter to. as well, yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, so but, so you can, you know you can't you can't just say I'm going to go there and represent the people, or if people say, well, I want him or her to represent me, you know, they don't mean every idea or every uh, emotional position they hold on issues. It's it's the idea of going there, paying attention to things that 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 the rest of us don't have time to pay attention to because we're we're busy earning a living and building our communities. You go pay attention and make good decisions, and if you don't, well, we'll will replace you soon enough. You are one of the few lucky people in this province who have had the chance to uh, serve their constituents in the legislature. Um, after your election in 1986, stepping on the legislature floor, legislative floor for the first time, what was that experience like? Because I've heard ranges from awe-inspiring to uh, overwhelming. For you, what was that experience like to walk in as the newly elected MLA for Vegreville to the legislative floor and take your seat as the next MLA? Well, it was it was it was awesome. It was uh, awe-inspiring in some ways. Uh, I have a great respect for the institution, and to be elected was. Uh, was an honor to uh, and and quite a thrill, um, but also kind of a uh, a heavy responsibility. You know, there's lots to learn, and and uh, uh, to them who much is given, a lot is expected. And you know, I felt I had uh, had to live up to expectations. So it was it was a real challenge, but it was a thrill. In your first term, uh, the then leader of the opposition, Ray Martin, uh, appointed you the critic for agriculture. And I found this interesting, the critic for agriculture and the whip of the party. Um, did you ask for the role of uh, agriculture critic or did he give that to you because you're a farming background? Well, I didn't I didn't need to ask for it. I'd been <laughs> I'd been uh, active in the agriculture policy committee and had the background. Okay. Uh, there were only two of us elected from rural Alberta, uh, Leo Paquette in Athabasca, Laclabish uh, and, and, and me. So I was, uh, I was the only choice, uh, obvious choice. Leo, Leo uh, had a bit of a different background. He understood agricultural issues very well and was a great supporter, but he also had uh, experience in a number of other areas. So, so I was the agriculture critic. Um, you know, and, and a darn good one, I think. I may have been the only choice. 
I found it interesting when I was doing research on you there. While there's not much about the 1980 NDP, um, I found it interesting. You, a relatively uh, newcomer to elected politics, are put up against the then sitting Minister of Agriculture. He was just appointed into the position as well. Peter, and I'm going to pronounce his last name wrong here, Peter Elzinga. No, that's right. Peter Elzinga, yeah. Okay, okay. I just I, I forget how to pronounce his name from time to time. Um, mm-hmm. He was a former MP. He had resigned. He had become the, he, he sort of became the MLA as well for the, uh, Fort Saskatchewan, if I'm not mistaken. What was it like to go up against Peter as the Minister of Agriculture and you the critic? Was it easy or was it challenging because he had this reputation and he was well uh, versed in political uh, uh, decorum, I should say, because he had that experience as an MP? Or was it sort of a, a unique experience because you were both newly elected MLAs? Well, he, you know, he, he's, he's older and certainly had uh, extensive experience. So, uh, you know, so he brought different things to the job, but I, but I, I wasn't intimidated. I knew I, I deserved to be where I was as much as he did. Um, but I scheduled a meeting with him shortly after he was appointed Minister of Agriculture, uh, uh, which he graciously uh, accepted. And we sat down together and I said, look, uh, you know, I think we both have the same interests here. We want to do what we can to make things better for farmers and rural Albertans and, and, uh, you know, let's, let's work together. And he was keen about that all very, very friendly and nice. And so, so when I got up to ask my very first question in the legislature, uh, a, a short time after that, I was asking, you know, what plans the minister had to, to, uh, bring in a, a fixed rate, low interest, uh, farm loan program for, agricultural producers and he got up and he and he uh you know said well you silly socialists don't understand about about how business operates and you have these pie in the sky ideas and always have such a negative attitude and and i was just stunned like i'm what's he talking about i didn't ask anything about that nor did i deserve (laughs) deserve that uh, that kind of response and uh you know i'm sitting there trying to absorb what he's saying and i have to jump up on my feet and and come up with a supplementary question. And, uh, you know, and I said, so, well, that's, that's very interesting, Mr. Minister, but what I asked you was, and I asked again, and I sat down and then he put the boots to me, uh, again, and he did, he did it three times. And, and then I leaned over to Ray Martin and I, I said, so what's going on there? And Ray looked at me and he says, Oh, grow up. Uh, oh, okay. So what Elzinga was doing was teaching me the rough and tumble of the legislature, I think. Um, he didn't do a very good job of answering the questions I asked him on that particular issue, but, but, uh, you know, it was, a an introduction to, to, to why it's not called answer period. It's question period. <laughs> Ask if you will, but don't expect an answer. What was the biggest thing that you wanted to accomplish in that first year, first term, I should say, because you were never guaranteed a second term, no matter who you are. We realized in 2015 that everything could change on a dime. Uh, mm-hmm. You you want to hold the government to account. Uh, you are in the opposition. Uh, you are a group of 16 newly elected MLAs. Well, 15, because uh, Ray was reelected. What was the thing that you wanted to accomplish, the NDP, and even you for Vegreville, 
to ensure that no matter what you do, if you weren't reelected, you got that accomplished? Yeah. Uh, perhaps before I answer that, Chris, I'll just follow up on one thing you mentioned earlier about about being appointed whip. Okay. Uh, and that wasn't something that I requested, and uh, I didn't even know what it meant. You know, when it first uh, when the title was first uh, uh, given to me, um, and and for your listeners, uh, the the party whip is someone who's responsible for discipline within the caucus, um, but also advocating on behalf of the members making sure that individual members have access to question period, that their concerns are, are heard by the, the, the leader and deputy leader. Uh, and, and also, you know, uh, uh, providing some measure of, of uh, control and enforcement, uh, making sure that, that there are enough people there to, uh, to handle debate and be there for votes, that sort of thing. That's what the whip is. And that was, I guess, Ray as leader had to have, uh, uh, a leadership group that would that would uh, surround him, kind of the front bench, I guess, uh, of, of of the caucus that would have varying responsibilities. So, Pam Barrett was the deputy leader. Bob Hawksworth from Calgary was the uh, caucus chairperson. Um, uh, a couple others I can't think of their titles. Uh, Gordon Wright, Ed Wasiuk from Edmonton, and and me. So we were sitting on the in the front row there kind of staring at the conservatives on the other side. And, and, uh, so it was kind of, a, uh, I guess an executive position in a sense. And um, I, I'm a, I'm a political nerd, so I, I know what the whip is and please yeah. correct me if I'm wrong here, but usually the whip is the most hated person in the legislature because the whip has to tell the MLAs, the party MLAs, who has to be there for which sitting, which night, which votes they have to be there. So they are basically determining your schedule for the rest of your four years in office, correct? Well, except, except, you know, we weren't the governing party. We were the opposition and we were, uh, we were all keen. Uh, we were all new. We all, uh, had this, you know, pretty much the same objective. So no, I, uh, I don't think that made me unpopular. (laughs) Um, it was, it was good. So, but in terms of what, what I had hoped to accomplish in my, uh, first, my first term, my first year, things came very quickly. Uh, the legislature, you know, we were sworn in, uh, Premier Getty appointed his cabinet, and then the legislature started sitting, and we sat all summer long, all through the summer of 1986 into, sep- into September. So it really, it really uh, took away from any opportunity to uh, to really get get established in the community. But but what I wanted to make sure is that there uh, people knew that that I was there, that we had a presence there, and they could bring their concerns. Uh, to me, and I would advocate on their behalf. So even though there'd been a budget for it, there'd never been a, an MLA office in our constituency. So uh, early on, I opened an MLA office in Vegreville that was staffed regularly, and people would, would come into the office and, and meet with me or meet with my, uh, my assistant who would, who would uh, you know, listen to and try and understand their concerns. And then it may involve advocating on their behalf with the government department about a, an issue, an unresolved issue. It may be uh, helping them find direction in terms of solving problems for themselves. Uh, and, and often those issues, issues aren't political. They're, they're local and personal, you know. And then I opened an MLA office in Two Hills uh, part-time 
and one in Tofield as well. So, oh, wow. So, so that was, uh, and, and, you know, they weren't, they weren't staffed full time. We didn't have the budget for that or the personnel, but I made sure I was, I was involved in all of those communities and getting out and making sure I, I tried to also in the first couple of months to make sure I, I met with every town, village and county council in the constituency to, uh, well, I guess calm their, their fears a little bit because they'd been so conditioned to believe that you have to have a government MLA. If you don't have a conservative representing you, you'll be ignored and punished, uh, which, which uh, isn't true in, in its most basic sense. And if it was true, would be a, uh, you know, a, a tragic indictment of our, of our situation here in Alberta. Um, what, what was missing was the, the, you know, there wasn't someone to advocate for people to get appointed to committees and stuff by the government. Cause you know, I wasn't, uh, wasn't connected that the- way, but I wanted to meet with the, the councils and let them know, look, I'm, I'm here. The same people that voted, voted for you, voted for me. We represent these, these areas, uh, you know, you at a more local level, basic level, let me know what's going on. I'll do what I can to help. How long did it take for you to get the, and I, and I say this lightly and I don't mean it uh, negatively, but how long did it take for the people to start coming around to the idea that you were their new MLA? Yes, we do not have a government MLA anymore. We have an opposition MLA. Do you remember like a moment or a sense that, okay, two years in people were finally around to the idea that I am now their MLA and we're still getting the funding to uh, the community centers. We're getting, still getting our roads fixed. Was there a moment that you can point to? Well, not, not really. And I, you know, and, and uh, in, in reality, some people would, would never accept that. I mean, they, they, you know, in fairness, would do what they could to make sure that I lost the next election and they'd have a government MLA or a conservative MLA. You know, that's that's politics. But I found in, in the main, um, you know, most of the councils, most of the elected representatives and most of the people that I, I uh, bumped into and, and tried to help were very, uh, you know, very decent about it and very good, you know, open to the idea that that uh, I might not be their first choice, but... Uh, you know, but I was sincere in my desire to do a good job and help them. And the the second election came uh, much sooner than it should have. Yeah. Uh, less than three years into into the term, which was, uh, you know, when you think about it, a very very odd thing that that uh, that Getty would call an election with a sizable majority less than three years into his uh, his term. Uh, but he did that, and and. Uh, uh, I think I, I think I'm right in saying this. I'm pretty sure my memory is accurate. Um, we won a majority that time uh, in 1989, and we had the highest voter turnout in in Alberta, locally, uh, in, you mean, right? in Alberta. Yeah, right in Beggarville. So, I think we had something like 76 percent voter turnout. Oh wow! Um, you know, which was substantial. So, so our people got out. Uh, the Conservatives did everything they could to get their supporters out and. And it was uh, a heck of an election. <laughs> Going back to your, the constituents' work, the actual meeting with residents, trying to help them with their issues, whether it be local, whether it be personal, um, was that a challenge? Was that challenging compared to the legislative work? Because 
you, you were, you, these are your neighbors. These are the people that you like shop at the grocery store with. And now they're coming to you and asking for your help and, and you have to try to help them as best as you can as an opposition MLA, but also as their elected official in Edmonton. Was that challenging? Well, it is. And there's certainly some, you know, some people who have uh, issues or concerns that you can't help them with. I mean, you, you try, but, but sometimes resolution isn't, isn't, uh, isn't at hand. And, and I would run into the, the, uh, occasional situation where people had been working for years to get to get some issue resolved in a way that they wanted it to be resolved but it but you know it was like a, a pet project just keep keep going after the uh, the government on this particular issue because it, it stuck with them and, and it was never going to be resolved um, other times you could you could intervene and and actually do something positive and help somebody and feel really good about it that that you were able to accomplish something whereas when you're in the legislature you know you can you can come up with great ideas you can uh be a forceful advocate for something and uh and it gets voted down <laughs> you know? yeah um opposition a little piece of history i'm not sure you're aware of one of the one of the private members bills that grant notley introduced uh on more than one occasion was called the Midwinter Holiday Act and its companion bill called the Midwinter Holiday Name Act. So he was advocating that Alberta should have a, uh, a statutory holiday, the third, third Monday in February to, to break up the long winter and provide something that people would look forward to, but it never came up for debate. Private members bills don't often, they're on the order paper, but they don't, not very many of them make it to the top of the list. So we got elected. Pam Barrett introduced the Midwinter Holiday Act. I introduced the Midwinter Holiday Name Act. And lo and behold, they came up for debate. So we had to, you know, present these bills, make a, make a good case for them. Uh, we were ridiculed by the government members who said we were just silly socialists and didn't understand business. And didn't we realize that this would bankrupt business in Alberta? Companies couldn't afford it. You know, what a silly waste of time, blah, blah, blah. And then, uh, you know, next session, Don Getty introduces the Family Day Act. And bingo, we have a, a midwinter holiday on the third Monday in February. I actually had that on my list of questions oh. to ask you about Family Day because <laughs> when it if I'm not mistaken, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but when it actually was introduced as Family Day, quote unquote, Family Day, the NDP sort of went, what is this all about, right? Because you are literally stealing our idea, but just renaming it and putting it in a different form, correct? Well, and, you know, we were certainly supportive of it, and, and yeah. but but we would read back some of the words that that the Conservatives had used to speak against such an idea, you know, this silly socialist nonsense by, by the anti-business NDP. Um, so we'd read back their words just to kind of rub it in a little bit, but we certainly supported the bill. I guess the, uh, and I did have some comments about him naming it Family Day. I thought it's a little facetious in a way when, when you have a government that, that seemed, seemed to be proud of having the lowest minimum wage in the country um, you know, the, the, the weakest labor legislation in the country, um, you know, just, just weren't doing 
things in a concrete way that would help build family life in Alberta. So it seemed, it seemed like, uh, uh, you know, a good idea to, to have families spend more time together. What a great idea, but let's, let's do something concrete that makes it real. Did they give a reason why they called it family? Was it more just to spend time with your family? Or was there an actual concrete reason when the bill was introduced to say, this is why it's called family day? You know, I don't recall, Chris, I, I, I don't recall specifically, I think just the idea that it's important for families to be together. And if you can, you can give uh, working people and their families uh, a statutory holiday in the middle of middle of a, a very long winter in Alberta, it's a great idea. Yes, as someone from Ontario, I, I I now know what those really long winters are all about. That I was all mm-hmm. I heard all about when I was back in Ontario. Um, you, you mentioned Don Getty, Premier, called the election three and a half years later after that uh, May eighth vote. Mm-hmm. Were you guys ready for the election? Was there rumblings that there would be a potential call, or were you guys just taken back? But was by you guys, I mean the NDP taken back by the fact that they had actually decided to drop the writ three and a half years into their uh, term. Yeah, there were rumors and, and uh, others would remember more about it than I do. Um, But there were some things that were going to be revealed. Uh, The the government of the day had a a rather uh, nefarious relationship with principal trust and some of these trust companies that were starting to uh, fail and cost people in Alberta money. And uh, it was our feeling that they wanted to, to get another mandate under their belt before the, the per- proverbial uh, doo-doo hit the fan. So that was, that's what we were thinking at the time. Um, and as it turned out, uh, you know, we still had 16 seats. Unfortunately, we lost, uh, you know, uh, some, some good MLAs, but gained some some new ones. We had 16 seats, and the Liberals came uh, came up with with eight seats. So, uh, whether it was a good idea for Getty or not, I I, I don't know. That second term, you were now a newly reelected MLA. Uh, you were reappointed to uh, agriculture, and if I'm not mistaken, it was then now called the critic of agriculture and rural issues. If I'm not mistaken, correct me if I'm wrong. And uh, you get a new minister of agriculture across the across the aisle from you. And I, I forget mm-hmm. his name. I apologize. And how was it dealing with the new minister of agriculture? Well, it was interesting. I, uh, er- Ernie Isley was his name. Ernie, yes. Ernie, Ernie Isley from uh, from Bonneville. Uh, yeah, we had a we had a good relationship. Uh, you know, it was. Uh, uh, they had an associate minister of agriculture as well, Shirley McLean, Shirley oh, wow. McClellan, sorry, <laughs> Shirley McClellan. <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, I got along well with both of them. We we didn't agree on a lot of things, but uh, but uh, you know they were they were good to deal with. During your two year two terms as an MLA, um, was politics cordial? We you mentioned Peter and his sort of. Uh, hassling of you of that first question that you gave, but you see politics today where it's become vicious and it's uh, uh, right versus left in, in the eighties, 86 to 93, when you were an MLA, mm-hmm. 
was politics cordial or was it as bad as it is now, but we just didn't see it because uh, no one really tuned into the legislative TV or no one, because social media wasn't around, there wasn't those 10 second mm-hmm. clips on social media. How was politics during your time? Well, it was pretty cordial. And I should clarify that, you know, that, that Peter Elzinga was as well. We got along well and I, I respected them. I, I, I described an incident in which I think he was trying to, uh, to Teach you uh, school me on the rough and tumble of, of question period. Yeah. Um, but no, there, there were a number of members on the other side that I got along very well with and respected. And, and it was generally, uh, uh, generally a, a cordial sort of thing. There were probably three or four uh, MLAs on the other side that I, I wouldn't want to spend more than 30 seconds with that I, that I didn't like or respect. But most of them were, you know, they were there for the same reasons we were to, to try and do a good job on behalf of their constituents. Um, I, I see it as a much more uh, a partisan, unfortunately partisan and, and vicious kind of uh, a forum in many ways now, which is, which is unfortunate. Because most members, I think most, most MLAs, almost all MLAs have good ideas. And if they, if they would work together, we'd come up with, with better solutions. But, you know, when you see uh, uh, Jason Kenney encouraging his opposition members when Rachel was premier to put earplugs in rather than pay attention or uh, encourage all his MLAs to leave the legislature when, or leave the chamber when, when there's an important vote on uh, on certain issues, it's just like, uh, you know, disgraceful behavior from my point of view. Because I'm assuming Ray Martin, the leader at the time, and Don Getty got along. I'm assuming they might not have agreed on everything, but they were cordial mm-hmm. to each other where they would at least be able to talk to each other outside the legislature, right? Oh, for sure. And uh, I mean, you couldn't not get along with Don Getty. He was a very nice, nice person. Uh, he may have been in over his head at that position, but uh, do you think so? You know, yeah, I think so. Yeah. How, why do you say that? Well, the issues were complex, and I don't think he did a very good job of of dealing with them. Okay. He didn't didn't last long in that role. Were you surprised that he announced? Uh, I think it was ninety one when he announced he was stepping down as premier. Um, no, I could, you could see it coming. Because at that time, the PCs were doing, were sort of slumping in the polls, if I'm not mistaken, correct? Mm-hmm. How were the NDP at the time? Because it, we all know what happened in 93, the NDP were wiped out. But were you surprised, were, like, were the NDP polling well at the time? Or did you guys even care about polls and more worried about actually work on the ground? Well, I, again, that was a long time ago. I have to, yeah. I didn't pay as much attention to that as you might think. It was too busy, but certainly we were, uh, I was aware that we were polling well in 91. Um, you know, I do remember uh, a conversation I had with a colleague, a good friend of mine after, uh, you know, Bob Ray was uh, looking like they were going to win the election in Ontario, that the NDP might win. And he was excited by that. And I said, well, I'm not excited about that. Um, so he asked me why. And I said, well, because I think the economy there is, is, uh, is on a significant downturn, you know, due, due in no small part to the uh, actions of the Liberal government there. 
and if we if we win the election in Ontario, Bob Ray will have uh, a caucus made up of people who don't even know how to find their way to the washroom, much less run a government because they're, you know, they didn't have the experience or the depth, um, you know. But but they got elected and and they had to deal with all of these incredible issues and and uh, you know Bob Ray certainly had some people there, I guess, that he could count on, but. But their bench strength was was pretty thin, and a lot of a lot of people who would have been better off serving a term in opposition to get to get their feet under them, let the the liberal government of the day harvest the results of their uh, mismanagement, and then and then you know uh, the NDP formed the government subsequent to that with with some some experience and some strength, you know. Looking back on your seven years as an MLA. What was your greatest highlight that you could look at and say, I was proud that I got that done? Hmm. Well, I mean, you know, we weren't government, so there's no particular uh, uh, initiative that we can point to that that the government uh, enacted. Uh, We certainly held, held their feet to the fire on a number of issues. Uh, there was a, a, a fixed rate, low interest farm loan program that came in. I was pleased with that and congratulated the government for their efforts in that regard. Um, I did have the constituency well serviced. I was I was pleased about that with the the offices and the the very you know the great people who worked there for me uh, for our constituents. That was a real positive thing. And then just just being there to advocate for for important issues, you know, healthcare and education, things that, that people cared about. Um, yeah, so those are issues I, I felt good about. It would have been good to be there uh, longer and in, in government so we could actually have uh, brought in some meaningful change. But, you know, but the opposition plays an important role in making sure that people are aware of what's going on, that the government doesn't you know, sneak anything past, and you can certainly see it with, with the opposition now, with Rachel and and the uh, New Democrats, the number of uh, horrendous legislative initiatives that uh, Kenny has taken and and had to uh, backtrack on because because they they did see the light of day, and and the NDP organized opposition to things like their their uh, East Slopes uh, coal mining policy, things like that. Is there anything you regret about your time in public office that you could have done a little bit more differently or you wish you would have pushed a little bit harder to get something passed or to get something changed? Um, no, no, I, I, I'm, I feel comfortable. I did the best I could. I had uh, support, encouragement and advice from a lot of really, uh, really great people. And I'm grateful for that. And you know, we, we uh, Viola and I and, and our, our two daughters remain very involved and active in our community here. Um, and, and so I, I look back on that with, with a, a sense of pride as well. You know, both our daughters moved back to Vegreville and, uh, and got involved and do their, their best to make the community better for their families and, and, and us. And so they both have a strong sense of of volunteerism and giving back that that they got from Viola and from from me. 
Well, uh, your daughter, Tanine, speaks highly of you. And the reason why she got involved in politics is because of all those meetings around the dinner table, she said, if I'm not mistaken, of uh, you and the NDP around the uh, dinner table. So I, 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 from just speaking to both of you, I can see you're both, you're passionate about serving your constituents. Well, and and, and Viola was uh, was uh, president of the Albert NDP for for two or three years there as well. So it was a... A pretty political household. Wow. Um, uh, a, a I do want to talk. 600 oh, square foot house. <laughs> oh, shit. Uh, I do want to talk. 600 square foot house built in 1908. So it was, uh, uh, there was room what? for disagreement, but not a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I do want to talk about that 1993 election. I read a quote by you. You gave an interview to CBC, uh, Michelle Belafontaine, if I'm not mistaken, where you said that 1993 election, the Liberals were led by uh, Deco- uh, the former Edmonton mayor. I forget his first name, but Decor is his last name. And uh, Ralph Klein was the leader of the uh, Progressive Conservatives, the premier. And you said in the interview, the Liberals and the PCs were promising tax break after tax break and the NDP were pushed out of the conversation. Why do is that correct? Do, am I getting that wrong? Please correct me if I'm wrong there first off. Well, I, I, I don't remember that, uh, that for sure. I, I would have described it as a, uh, a battle of the big city mayors. So Lawrence decor, Lawrence, former right. mayor of Edmonton versus Ralph Klein, former mayor of Calgary. The media were enamored by their, uh, by their, there, uh, you know, this battle between the two of them, and and to, to quote Ray Martin, he he kept saying that, uh, you know, one is promising uh, massive cuts, the other is promising brutal cuts, and and there's nothing to choose between them. But the fact is, there wasn't, there just wasn't room for for us in the uh, in the in the picture at that time. And uh, locally, I did believe that we that we were going to win. I thought we had a a, a good campaign here and a good chance to win. Um, there were a couple of reasons that, that we didn't, uh, other than what was going on, you know, provincially, politically. Um, the Conservative candidate was uh, well-known, Ed Stelmack, a former Reeve of the County of Lamont, uh, very involved and uh, well-known. So the Conservatives had a, had a strong candidate, but the Liberals had a very good candidate as well. Uh, Jerry Wild from Beggarville, and so the Liberals uh, pulled more votes from from our campaign than they did from the Conservatives, and uh, Conservatives kind of snuck up up the middle and, and won that election. Um, yeah, and Lawrence Decor uh, is 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 from or was from Beggarville. He had a local presence here as well, so it it uh, things so were lining up well for the Liberals at that time. Going back to that uh, first campaign or that 1986 campaign when you said that if Don Getty had not won the leadership and that uh, I forget his uh, I forget the gentleman's name right now Julian Kozak Julian that's right Julian Kozak had won the stars wouldn't have potentially aligned for you to win that election but in '93 there was a little bit more presence in Vegreville with the leaders and the local candidate so stars didn't align perfectly but you well, had and, the, seven- and the liberals the liberals still finished a, a distant third here in our constituency 
um, but they they took more votes from from us than they did from the Conservatives. So, and and there was redistribution as well. The county uh, or the constituency boundaries had changed, and some uh, fairly strong Conservative areas had been added to our constituency. So it it was uh, it was a challenge. You, 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 like I said, you are one of the few people in this province who have been able to serve as a elected MLA. After that 1993 election, you were defeated. Was there a thought in your head that potentially in four years, when the next election comes around, you might run again? Or after that defeat, did you think it's time to move on, let the next generation of potential uh, leaders take the mantle of putting their name forward? Well, it was a much more practical thing than that. It was, it was, uh, you know, it was very uh, disappointing, very, uh, uh, I really, enjoyed the role and I treasured the opportunity to, to be the MLA and represent the people here. Um, you know, but when they decided who they wanted to be their representative in, in 93, they had to know at least as much about what they were doing as they did in 86 when they elected me, you know, so I, I, uh, I accepted that, uh, with, you know, with the kind of grace that you're supposed to and, and move on in terms of, of running again, I just didn't have that opportunity. I had I had nothing to fall back on. Uh, I had to kind of start over, reinvent my my uh, career, start on something different. So, so running again wasn't wasn't an option for me. But um, you know, I stayed involved. We stayed involved and helped with subsequent campaigns. But well, you did you know, have the opportunity. I gave it my best shot. That would be what I would say. Uh, the next time a sitting uh, MLA for Vegreville would be NDP would be 2015 with Jessica Littlewood. Mm-hmm. Uh, that must have been exciting for you to see the resurgence of the NDP and also seeing a now NDP in government. Yeah, it was great. And, uh, you know, Jessica, uh, you know, decided uh, not too long before the campaign to run. I didn't know her, hadn't, hadn't met her. And, uh, you know, there wasn't much of a local campaign. Um, so her victory was, was a, a delightful surprise, but, but she was a terrific MLA. She did a great job of, of representing people here and, and uh, getting out to, you know, find out what's going on in the community, attending events, trying to speak on our behalf. She was, uh, yeah, she did a terrific job. Um, I, I have two last questions before we wrap up here, Derek. Can you look back on your seven years and explain your favoriteest moment as a sitting MLA? What was the moment that just brought you so much joy? My goodness, that would—that's—that's that's a challenge. There were so many wonderful moments there, um, you know. And and powerful emotions are are not just not just positive. Sometimes they're poignant or sad. Well, in that, um, what, what was the moment that you went? This is all worth it. This is the moment that uh, I look back on the rest of my life, and I'm—I I was happy I was here <laughs> at that time. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not sure I, I, I could I could lay my uh, finger on a defining moment like that. 
Okay. You know, I'd, that... have to, I'd have to puzzle <laughs> that one out for, for longer. There were so many, uh, so many wonderful experiences, so many frustrating experiences and, and some that were poignant and sad, you know. I remember when our colleague uh, Gordon Wright, he died in office. And remember when uh, when he came back into the legislature, when he was uh, still able to to stand and, and attend. And uh, they uh, they conferred the uh, honor of Queen's, Queen's Council, I think it's called. Yep. Um, on him. And that was a that was a very, uh, you know, powerful moment not a not a happy moment in some ways but a terribly sad moment but but very powerful my last question for you there derek is if someone was thinking about running for politics what would you tell them well i would uh, you know uh, be prepared make sure you know what you're getting into but uh, you know depending on whether it's uh, municipal federal or, or provincial uh, get to know the area you want to represent and, and uh, get to know the people who are there. If you're already part of the community, well, that you've got a leg up. And, uh, you know, don't be afraid of opinions that aren't the same as, as, as yours. You, uh, There's such a, a diversity of opinion on, on so many issues. You have to be able to to not only defend your own position, but you have to be open to the positions of others. And, and maybe that's what's sadly lacking so much, the ability to, to listen and to hear what other people are telling you or asking of you. You know, it's one thing to, to have a position that you, uh, that you can vigorously defend, but if you can't listen to what, what other people are saying, it, it, it really weakens your position. I think you have to be, you have to be open to, what, uh, to changing circumstances, to new information, to, to what's going on. You, your daughter, Tanine, uh, decided to run for council or uh, town council in the town of Vegreville. Were you surprised at that decision? Or did you expect that to come? Because uh, she, when she talked about it, she was, uh, she was asked by a few people and she decided to put her name for it. And were you uh, supportive of her getting into municipal politics? Well, of course, uh, we were very supportive, um, uh, not something we expected, but, uh, you know, prior to that, she'd been active in a number of community organizations and uh, just, uh, you know, uh, a dedicated volunteer organizing things. She's uh, always been very articulate and a, a good organizer, so it certainly didn't surprise me. I, I can't say I expected it, though, but, uh, yeah, she... She's tries done to be a strong voice for, for rural communities and rural economic development. She And she's an amazing person. I've had the pleasure of ch chatting with yeah. her, but also had the pleasure of chatting with her after the show as well. And she's, yeah. uh, I would say that who we're becoming good social media friends, if you call it that, because that's <laughs> all we do is talk on Instagram. Um, yeah. But Derek, I want to thank you so much for this. Um, you are a wealth of knowledge and I, I, I feel like I could talk for hours with you, just, just even on the intricate details of what was going on from 86 to 93, because 
that was the at that time the height of the NDP in Alberta because at that time they had only had two. They got wiped out, and if I'm not mistaken, mm-hmm. the most they had ever gotten until 2005 was four seats. So you were in the sort of the 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 bubble of the NDP, Alberta NDP in the province. Yeah. So I yeah, think it was you, a, an we'll exciting time. That's for sure. Well, thank you for. Uh, Thank you for giving me this opportunity. Hey, no problem. And I appreciate you chatting with me today. And it was greatly appreciated. The Cross Border Interview Podcast was produced and edited by Miranda Brown and Associates.